friends beautiful people welcome back to the roto world football podcast my name is josh norris of rotoworld.com i hope you're having a a great draft week it's a busy one thanks so much for supporting us over the last few weeks few months and it's all here it's all coming to a close Um, but before that happens i want to tell you that if you haven't checked it out go check out our draft room episode with ted nguyen ben finnell Dame Brugler, Fran Duffy, and myself, they all know what they're talking about. I was along for the ride. It was an awesome two-hour experience, um, and it's one of the best podcasts we've ever done, and you guys agree, because it's one of our most listened-to podcasts of all time. So thank you for listening to that. Thank you for the kind words along the way, and thank you for supporting Evan Silva and I's Draft Needs seven-round mock series um, and the other content we've been putting out. Today's episode will, as you can tell by the title, will be a full first round mock draft with Evan Silva and myself. This is probably the fourth year we've done this, something like that. I can't even remember what year it is. Evan, how are you, my friend? I'm doing really, really well. I'm ready to run through this. I think that some of the best podcasts that we do are this particular one, our mock draft podcast, and then the podcast that we do during the NFL preseason because- Um, We're really picking up on a lot of concepts that teams are implementing. We're seeing where guys are on the depth chart and where they're getting chances. Uh, But and this is just a we're guessing, but we're trying to connect dots and um, hopefully pass along some interesting information for the audience. For sure. And we're only going to talk about round one, but some of the dots that we're connecting can be applied to round two, three and four. And just kind of a broad topic here, just to start, Evan, I actually think the more I do this, the more I realize the draft mainly is four rounds and then rounds five through seven. You might find, you know, some players that turn out to be good, but teams aren't afraid to cut those players kind of immediately out of camp. So rounds one through four is really what the focus should be on in terms of the players and the prospects discussed. Uh, And before we get any further, I also want to mention that if you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to subscribe. It really helps us out. So you get them as soon as they're posted And we get to know how many people are listening to each one. And if you do like it even more than just subscribing, be sure to leave a review as well. I think we're stuck at 249 right now on iTunes. So whoever the next one wants to be 250, uh, I will love you forever because you're beautiful. Uh, Evan, this year is madness. It's absolute crazy. It's like two days before the draft. And we have no idea who's going to be the number one pick, at least the moment of recording this podcast. Uh, To me, Evan, that means with the Cleveland Browns, Since we don't know about it, that means Hugh Jackson doesn't know about it. And if Hugh Jackson doesn't know about it, that means Michael Silver and other media members don't know about it either. That's true. Uh, Hugh Jackson is the rare NFL coach with a mouthpiece in the uh, NFL media who actually works for the NFL. Um, So that's a very interesting dynamic. Uh, But I think that at number one, the Browns are going to make the smart choice. Uh, I think that John Dorsey is going to kick this off with uh, the highest probability quarterback prospect on the board. I think that uh, Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen are also uh, relative in that same range in terms of probability. But I think that, and I think that Josh Rosen or Josh Allen is lower, but I think that Sam Darnold checks the most boxes. Uh, I think when I watched him, I thought he was a gunslinger cross between Matthew Stafford and Tony Romo. Okay. Um, 
and you know people talk about the poor supporting cast for Josh Allen a lot, uh, and they talk about it for Josh Rosen as well. They don't talk about it for Sam Darnold. You know, his best receiver last year was Deontay Burnett, a projected late day three slot receiver, and that offensive line, especially from watching a lot of Ronald Jones, I know was was crap. So he didn't have a whole lot around him either. I agree. Um, to me, and, and you mentioned the Tony Romo comparison, I would throw in Jameis Winston as well. What's interesting with this one, though, is almost equally we've heard Sam Darnold, we've heard Josh Allen, and then lately it's Baker Mayfield. I do want to go back to, because it's kind of come back full circle with Sam Darnold, that after his pro day, like Bucky Brooks, Joe Klatt, and Daniel Jeremiah basically put it in pen, in marker, in permanent marker, that Darnold would be the pick at number one. Um, then we had Peter King a long time ago mention Josh Allen's name, and then this week say it's not going to be Josh Allen just based on different sources. And then we also had Dan Patrick who threw in Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen and not Sam Darnold's name at all. Um, I do think it's, like you mentioned, Sam Darnold. And for one of the reasons that they've already signed both Tyrod and if Tyrod gets injured, then you have Drew Stanton as well, is that if Baker, when Baker enters the NFL with the youngest quarterback drafted since, I believe, 1970. And so you kind of set yourself up for him to mentally get reps because I don't know how many physical reps he can get. But if we're putting ourselves in their shoes and trying to connect the dots, that would make sense for him not to have to play at all during his rookie year. And the hot rumor for a while, as you mentioned, was Josh Allen going number one to the Browns. I think that uh, my bold prediction is that Josh Allen is going to fall further than people anticipate. Uh, he, I think that he just, at the end of the day, like he just wasn't good in college. Um, and I think that he falls kind of like Blaine Gabbert did in that 2011 draft. He was yeah. beloved by the media. Um, but I think that, you know, and I think that teams are enamored with him. But I think that when they're on the clock, they're going to have a really tough time pulling the trigger on him. And I think that he's going to fall into the double digits. And also, I mean, that draft, the 2011 draft was so interesting because it was the lockout. And so teams were kind of forced to take quarterbacks if they needed one at all. And still Moyne Gabbert fell deeper than I expected him to. Um, what, that was number 11 overall? And I think Jaguars even traded up. I watched it this weekend. It was on NFL Network. So if Darnold goes off the board at the Browns at one, I know Jordan Ranon, who's a star beat writer for the Giants, has mentioned Darnold's name at number two if he's on the board. He's also lately thrown in Josh Rosen. What's interesting about this one, Evan, is that since Dave Gettleman was hired late, um, not late, you know, just after the season, he's, he's coming to, and he, and he has connections with the Giants, right? Those are obvious. But where he steps into the process is all the scouts already have their grades, and he has no real attachment to those scouts that we know of. It doesn't necessarily matter what the scouts' opinions were, and the scouts are most likely to talk to media members if anyone's going to talk at all. So at the end of the day, it comes down to Dave Gettleman. And I think here, with the ownership mentioned as well, as much as I don't necessarily think it is Gettleman's philosophy to take a running back higher than an edge rusher, I think they do take Saquon here. So do I. And I think that it's a fear-based draft pick. Yeah. Um, when you think about drafting a running back, it's like buying a car. Um, and the, you know, the, the value of that running back is not going to appreciate when you think about drafting a quarterback, it's like buying a house. Um, what, think about just, just last year, all these, these guys were taken in the top 10. Leonard Fournette went number four overall. Is he worth the number four overall pick in this draft? I don't think that there is a single team that would trade the number four overall pick for him. 
Patrick Mahomes, Mitchell Trubisky, and Deshaun Watson. Think about how much their value has appreciated in a matter of one year. Patrick Mahomes didn't even play you know, until week 17. Mitchell Trubisky was up and down. Deshaun Watson only made six starts, yet all those quarterbacks value appreciated, um, even with very limited uh, playing time and or success in Mitchell Trubisky's case. So I think that it's a foolish move by the Giants. I think that it's not, you know, it's not a forward thinking move at all. And I think that it's not the best investment, but I do think that that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to use the number two pick on, on a running back. And, you know, Dave Gettleman has talked about how he thinks that the devaluation of running backs is a myth. Well, he's already put that into practice because he took Christian McCaffrey at number eight overall last year in Carolina. Yeah. And if I can put myself in their shoes, Evan, and if I were trying to sell myself on this selection, it, you can tell that the ownership was upset with how they handled the Eli Manning situation to end the year, and maybe they still feel like they owe him something. So putting Saquon Barkley with Odell, with Evan Ingram, with Sterling Shepard, maybe they think that they can you know get two or three years and rejuvenate him, give him a little bit more life at the quarterback spot. But like, I mean, just signing Nate Solder doesn't do it with the offensive line either, and you and I have our reservations with Saquon when you know he faces trash up the middle. Um, do you, you agree with me that this should be a quarterback, right? Absolutely. I yeah. mean, I think that it should be Josh Rosen. Um, I think that Josh Rosen makes the most sense at number two. And I, I believe the Giants either have just six or seven selections and Giants fans are going to come to find this out. Like Dave Gettleman is the worst at acquiring draft picks among general managers in the last five years. And I'm sure he's gotten a ton of offers for this, especially from the Bills, who he knows well terms of McDermott and Brandon Bean, but just his inability to acquire picks is his inability to trade down. And he's never done it in any round before. And, and it sounds like it's not going to happen here at number two. Okay. Let's move on to the jets. Evan, this is one where there's so much attention being paid to Baker Mayfield that it almost seems like it's too certain that it, like it's not going to happen now, if that makes sense. That's definitely the way that the wind has been blowing. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I think is, a really, really good quarterback prospect, despite his height limitation. Uh, he led the nation in quarterback rating under pressure in 2015, 2016, and 2017. I think he's the most accurate passer in the draft. He had the second best ball velocity at the combine behind only Josh Allen among quarterbacks. Um, I'd like the comparison to Jeff Garcia. And I know that we think back Jeff Ooh. Garcia is like a kind of like a cartoonish player, but he made four pro bowls in the NFL um, and, you know, that word of the Jets liking Baker Mayfield, it seemed like it, it started to leak right after they made that trade to move up to number three. I think that the only way, though, that they could justify that trade up to number three instead of like up to number two was because they had similar grades on Baker Mayfield and Josh Rosen and maybe even Sam Darnold. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to have similar grades on all three of those guys. And I think that they that they do but I think that they're going to go with Baker Mayfield over Josh Rosen. Um, in retrospect, I kind of like the deal, Evan. Like I know it was laughed at kind of at the time because they used three second round picks to move up three spots. But now going through this mock, where the Bills are in a situation, where the Cardinals are in the situation, where the Broncos are in a situation, like if the Giants aren't trading out of two, the Jets made the right move to move up as high as they could. Um, to get the quarterback because they knew they were going to draft a quarterback anyways. It was a big, aggressive hack. 
And they put, but they put themselves in very good position. I mean, moving up one slot in the draft per second round pick uh, given up, that's a lot. You, you know, that's theoretically three cheap starters on rookie contracts. Um, but they felt like they had to make this move, and I, I don't disagree with them. And, you know, it, it's just, it's, it's a big, it's risky, but it's a big hack, and they put themselves in a pretty good position. When we go through these draft picks, a lot of it is referring back to what general managers have shown in the past, what their tendencies are, because that's when they've been honest, right? Not, so, not necessarily the buzz that's linked to them right now. And Evan, if, if we're doing that with the Jets general manager, doesn't like Josh Rosen fit his type much more so than Baker Mayfield? Like if we're talking about a Bryce Petty, if we're talking about a Christian Hackenberg, if we're talking about a, a Josh McCown, if we're talking about a Teddy Bridgewater more than Baker Mayfield. Yeah. I think that Jeremy Bates loves this guy and Jeremy Bates is the guy who they are promoting to OC to take over for John Morton. Um, he's been around the NFL and immediately when the word kind of leaked that the Jets wanted Baker Mayfield. It was also accompanied by, oh, he's going to be a great fit for Jeremy Bates' West Coast offense. So I think that that's how they see it. They have some weapons in the receiver core, by the way. Uh, Robbie Anderson, Jermaine Kearse is coming off a pretty solid year. I know he's kind of like a a Quincy Nunua back from injury. Quincy Nunua is coming back. And they invested uh, two fairly early picks uh, into Chad Hansen and Ardarius Stewart last year. So they, they've got some theoretical talent in the pass catcher core and they, they've got an okay offensive line after free agency. Last point on the jets, Evan, what does it say to you that, and this is from Bovada that Bovada has Josh Rosen as the favorite for the number three pick over Baker Mayfield. Does that mean anything to you? Or are they just trying to get traction? In? Yeah, I wouldn't read into those draft props at all. First okay. of all, the, the, the uh, maximum that you can bet on them is so low that they don't even put um, you know their best guys on that. They're just trying to get action for the Got sports it. book. I mean, no, no, you know, you can't put like a two thousand dollar bet or like a ten thousand dollar bet on something. Their limits usually like two hundred, two hundred fifty bucks. Uh, let's go to the Cleveland Browns at number four. Lots of buzz that, you know, this is where the Bills want to move up or the Cardinals or however many teams. Evan, I just from configuring my own board, it would be hard for me if I were John Dorsey to move past and beyond Bradley Chubb here. Because at the top of the draft, if you can exit with the quarterback of your choice and a true pass rusher to book in Miles Garrett, like that's a great foundation to build on. Plus, they already have so many picks um, in this draft still to go. So I, I don't think the Browns move out of this number four spot like I did, you know, three weeks ago. And I, I think they take Bradley Chubb. I think what I would try to do if I was in John Dorsey's shoes is I would take Sam Darnold number one. And then at number four, I would try to make a deal with the Bills or the Cardinals and try to get their 2019 first rounder because I think that both of those teams are serious candidates to be picking in the top five again next year. Yeah. Um, but if he can't pull off a trade that nets him, you know, the Cardinals were the bills first round pick next year. In addition to obviously a pick, uh, you know, their first round pick this year, I think that Bradley Chubb is their best option. Like you said, coming out of this draft with the best quarterback prospect in the best pass rush prospect, and then still having the 33rd and 35th picks to work with. I think that that is a very good scenario, not quite ideal, but I think it's a very good scenario. And if Baker's still on the board, Evan, I wouldn't be surprised if the Broncos make like a small trade up 
um, kind of like what the 49ers and, and Bears did last year, just in terms of a pick swap, because then that, you know, that'll block the Bills from moving up or the Cardinals from moving up, those types of things. Um, and then just moving down one spot, you know, is different than moving down out of the top 12 or down to 15 where Arizona is. So um, we have the exact same top four. Yes. Yes. I mean, look, mine might change by Thursday. <laughs> right, mine too. <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's crazy right now. But, yeah, it, right now it's starting Darnold 1, Barkley 2. Uh, the Jets take Mayfield, even though I think the Rosen stuff is kind of for real there. And then Bradley Chubb at 4. Um, Evan, at number 5 with Denver, again, I mentioned Mayfield. But Quentin Nelson makes sense if both Saquon, Bradley Chubb, and Baker Mayfield. It's not worst-case scenario because you're getting a very good player in Quentin Nelson. Um, but, yeah, a guard here. At number five. I have Quentin Nelson here too. Uh, you put him next to Garrett Bowles, your first round pick at left tackle from last year. Uh, you put Ronald Leary at right guard. You bring back Matt Paradis at center and you have Jared Veld here at right tackle. You're talking about all of a sudden an offensive line that should be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this. So the, the whispers about Quentin Nelson are that he's not that athletic in the, the athletic testing that he did participate. He wasn't very good. If he had run a 40 before the draft, which he did not do, and he had run like a 5'5 five five or a 5'6, do you think we would be talking about him as a potential top five pick? I know that that's ridiculous. I don't even know if I can answer. Right. So, and I mean, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong. I'm just saying that if NFL teams had like a 5'5, five 6'40 five on Quentin Nelson, would he still be considered a potential top five pick? Uh, what I can say is if that is true, then good on his representation for not letting him complete a full athletic Exactly, profile. exactly. Very smart of them. Um, I don't know. And this is like besides the point, but just like, I don't even want to say this. I, he's, I think he's well put together for an offensive lineman. You know, he's not Andre Smith running out there, right? He's not necessarily Orlando Brown running out there. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't have any issues with anything that I saw. And as we go through with value, I've seen some say, well, can you take a guard top five? And it's been less and less and less. But, yeah, if, you're, if you can take a running back top five, you can for certain take a, a guard top five because the positional value is, is far more leaning towards a guard than it is a running back. Daniel Jeremiah called Quentin Nelson the best run blocker he's ever evaluated. And Lance Zierlein's comparison for him was Larry Allen. Yeah. And if you put him next to Garrett Bowles, like that is just a nasty – mauling left side of your offensive line. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Indianapolis. Evan, this is another one at number six where there's a lot of traction that potentially the Colts could trade out. Uh, even Chris Ballard himself has talked about how there's just, you know, eight top prospects that aren't quarterbacks. Um, but still, like dropping down to 12 to Buffalo or 11 to Miami – or 15 to Arizona is a pretty sizable drop. And I, I, I would find it hard to believe that the Colts would bypass someone like Roquan Smith or Denzel Ward and, and move out of number six. So I'm going to give them Roquan here as kind of a cornerstone of their defense. The first place that we differ, I have Denzel Ward here. Um, let me ask you this. So the, the Colts have four cornerbacks that have played like in the NFL on their roster. Right You're going to ask me to name them. Can you name two of them? Uh, I can name their safeties before their corners. And that doesn't count. Does it? No. 
Darius Butler's not on their team anymore, is he? Nope. Free agent still. <laughs> Quincy Wilson. Kenny oh, yeah, Moore, yeah. No, no, Nate I knew Quincy Harrison. Wilson. Yeah. Quincy Wilson, Kenny Moore, Nate Hairston, and Pierre Desir. Oh, okay. I didn't know Desir was on their team. That was an old draft Twitter favorite. Yes. That's really um, bad that I, I couldn't name it, them. I think that this crushes a need for the Colts. Maybe they'll move back and, and be able to pick up a pick and, and still get Denzel Ward. I think that that is in play. Um, although I think he'd be very tempting for Tampa Bay here at seven as well. Uh, but I think he's the best cornerback in the draft. Uh, I love the the term that Dane Brugler used to uh, describe his playing st- style. Suffocates the catch point. Freak show athlete. Four three two speed. 98th percentile. 35% completion rate. Yeah. And it makes up for a smaller frame. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also, Dar- Daniel Jeremiah and Dane Brugler in their latest mock drafts had Denzel Ward going six to the Colts. Yeah. I, I have a tough time just overall placing corners and mocks, and maybe it's because I also have a difficult time evaluating them, but they go early, right? So it, it makes total sense. I have gotten some feedback, though, when I, I mentioned Denzel Ward that, like, well, they're going to run more of a cover two this year, and they're not necessarily a need and all this kind of stuff. But um, – one final thing, like Chris Ballard has basically said the, the roster sucks right now. Like they, they don't have any young talent. And again, with these three second round picks, I, I know just, well, I guess it is three this year because they have their own plus two more. Um, this is where they need to build the foundation of the roster. Um, and yeah, it starts with Denzel Ward for you. Okay, Tampa Bay. I think Peter King mentioned Minka Fitzpatrick. I have a difficult time here, Evan, between Minka versus Derwin James, and versus Denzel Ward. I understand that the NFL loves Minka, but to me, just watching from afar, everything that Minka does, Derwin can do better with more size and more athleticism. I'm with you, and Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times uh, says that the Bucks are higher on Derwin James than Minka Fitzpatrick. So That's I have Derwin James going here. Um, I thought that he was at his best, where he was mostly utilized like closer to the line of scrimmage at Florida State. And I think that he's somewhere in between Landon Collins and Eric Berry. I mean, I think that he is a high floor, high upside prospect, uh, and the Bucks need help in their secondary. They really need more help at cornerback. Um, but I think that, you know, taking Minka Fitzpatrick, you may end up with a situation where you have Vernon Hargreaves and Minka Fitzpatrick, and both of their best position is slot corner. So I think that you take Derwin James. Uh, you could, I think you could even use him at corner at, at times. You could try him out at corner if you need to. Uh, but I think that he solidifies that, uh, that safety position uh, where they have just had a rotating cast of characters for the last several years. And let me tell you exactly what Peter King said. He, he mocked Minka Fitzpatrick here to Tampa Bay, and he said, late note, one or two teams who are sniffing around this area of the draft love Fitzpatrick. So that, that, that tells me that Minka Fitzpatrick's going to be a top 10 pick. Um, and then on the flip side of that with Derwin James, and I guess I'll get to this later, but I can just say it now, whatever. He really talked about Derwin James's versatility and linked him to the, to the Ravens. It seems like they love him. He might be play will linebacker sideline to sideline. Um, they could also use him at safety, slot corner, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I mean, it's tough for me to perceive that a team will take Fitzpatrick over Derwin, but you know, the NFL and I don't always agree. Um, I, I have Minka here, so uh, Chicago, Evan, I, the easy evaluation, the easy projection is Quentin Nelson, but he's off the board here. So where do you have him going? 
I have the Bears going with Tremaine Edmonds. Now, I think that their decision comes down to Tremaine Edmonds or Roquan Smith. Yeah. And I think that Roquan Smith goes number nine to the 49ers if the Bears take Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah. So this part of the draft is, you know, I, I think that these teams have very similar needs. For sure. Um, and I would Tremaine say Oakland Edmonds, as well. Yes, absolutely, at, at number 10. Although I think that they're going to go offensive linemen. We'll, Me too. we'll get there. Um, Tremaine Edmonds is incredible. Got on the field at age 17 at Virginia Tech, had 18 and a half tackles for loss, was first team all ACC at age 18. Um, he showed he could rush the passer. Uh, I thought he reminded me of Dante Hightower uh, okay. from a profile standpoint. And the Bears, inside linebackers are concerned. This has always been a high-valued position under Vic Fangio, their defensive coordinator. Danny Trevathan, um, I don't think he should be a full-time player anymore. Hasn't been the same coming back from that torn uh, patellar tendon, and his contract is going to start getting pricey. And then Nick Quiet-Koski. Uh, out of West Virginia, he yes, would be sir. the other starter at the at the other inside linebacker position if the season began today. I think that Tremaine Edmonds is the, this. Uh, he's a young player that doesn't necessarily have to be an immediate starter, but they could use him in certain packages because I think he's an underrated pass rusher. And he, again, he reminds me of Dante Hightower, who could also do all these things. Yeah, and I already have Roquan off the board, so here I gave them Tremaine Edmonds in the same light. And if we can just fast forward this to San Francisco, since they have such an inside linebacker need Evan like in, in, in my scenario, if Roquan does go to Indianapolis, I wouldn't be surprised if San Francisco tries to move up with Tampa Bay to leapfrog Chicago and go out and get one of those inside linebackers, or they trade out to the part where they feel comfortable with Leighton Vander Esch because it is such a major need. Um, so I guess I'll, we'll just move over to the 49ers now, since we already basically covered Chicago and agreed with inside linebacker. Um, like I mentioned, a possible trade-up with, with the 49ers. But if not, and if they go to a different position than linebacker, like that that Leo pass-rushing edge role makes a lot of sense. And I actually wouldn't be surprised here if we see um, Buffalo move up from 12 and then 49ers move out and take like a Harold Landry type. And I have Rokon Smith lasting this long, so obviously yeah. the 49ers take him here. Reuben Foster's legal troubles make linebacker the 49ers' number one need. I think that Roquan Smith, with his athleticism, great fit for Robert Sally's uh, Seahawks-like system. Uh, I thought he was impressive in every aspect of the game. Great blitzer, very good in coverage. I went back and looked at the last seven award winners of the Butkus Award as the best uh, linebacker in college football. And I like to look at this stuff just to see, you know, how the because these are the players that are considered the best players in college football, not necessarily the best NFL prospects. But I like to go back and look at this kind of Did stuff. Did Scooby Wright win that? No. Okay. Um, the last seven winners: Von Miller, Luke Keekley, Manti Teo. Uh, he has been the the most disappointing guy. But C.J. Mosley, another stud. Eric Kendricks just got a huge extension. Jalen Smith, of course, suffered that terrible leg injury. Uh, but he's been a starter in the NFL, even coming off that. And Reuben Foster, we saw his impact last year uh, when he finally got healthy down the stretch. Their run defense really came together. But um, these guys who have won the Butkus Award, these guys have, have mostly gone on to become NFL successes. I just thought it was interesting. Isn't it crazy that if Solomon Thomas was the pick, like if the Bears had moved up for Solomon Thomas and not Mitchell Trubisky, then the 49ers would have taken Reuben Foster at number three? Like they, they said that last year. 
Anyways, and, and with how much they've invested in the defensive line, yes, adding a good linebacker to play behind that is absolutely necessary. But, again, the outside chance of a different position, I think a true pass rusher on the edge like a Harold Landry makes a ton of sense as well, especially if they trade out to Buffalo like I have. Um, okay, off to Oakland. Evan, who do you have them taking? Colton Miller. Me too. I'm buying the hype. Uh, in the prospect or, the, or, their, or their interest? Yeah, in their interest. Yeah. Apparently, Tom Cable, their new offensive line coach, loves him. Uh, John Gruden has been listening to his assistants early in the offseason, allowed Rich Basaccia to over, uh, overhaul his special teams room. Um, so he's trusting these guys that, that have been in the NFL while he was away. Uh, I think they, Colt, Colt, there have been whispers that he's the number one offensive tackle on many teams' boards. Uh, he's great, late, looks great on a sheet of paper. I thought that you know number one spark score in the entire offensive line class, long arms. Um, I thought when I watched him, he was really inconsistent. Yeah. He reminded me, and uh, he reminded me of Nate Soldier, who you remember when he was coming out, he had some bad moments. Oh, you, you remember his game play. against Michael um, Kendricks? Yes. Yeah. And Cam Jordan. Yeah. He got burned. And Michael Kendricks was like a really good pass rusher in college and was able to bend and dip and get around the corner. And Nate Soto was awful in that game. And it's a need for the Raiders. I mean, Donald Penn turns 35 next month. He's coming off a Liz Frank fracture. He may not be ready for, I mean, he's old and he's coming off a major injury. That's a problem. And then at right tackle, they have Brino Giacomini, literally the worst offensive lineman in football, but a Tom Cable guy, Alexander. And, and, and yes, a, a Tom Cable guy and Vidal Alexander. They, they have major problems at both tackle positions. Yeah, I, I agree that this is Colton Miller. I actually, I mentioned um, Buffalo moving up to nine. I actually have Arizona moving up to 10, but why don't we just keep it in the order it is now. And Colton Miller, yeah, like you mentioned, like, and for better or for worse, Tom Cable seems to have John Gruden's ear, right? And I don't know how Tom Cable keeps getting these jobs because he's friends with people. Um, but if you look at athletic profiles, Tom Cable likes to draft those and turn them into what he thinks are good offensive linemen. It's worked in the past. Sometimes it hasn't worked in others. Um, and Jeff Schwartz, if, if you know, he is former offensive lineman has talked about Colton Miller's nagging issue and he has a false step in his set. And so like, it instantly allows edge rushers to get like a step on him. And I don't know if you can correct that, but they think you can. But by the way, Colton Miller is like 99th percentile athlete. And just unbelievable in that area. Um, so, and, and it's also, an amazing ability that, that Tom Cable has, by the way, yeah. to um, be like maybe the worst offensive line coach that we've ever seen, and yet still convince the general like football cognoscenti that he's actually one of the best offensive line coaches that we've ever seen. That's that's an incredible ability. Uh, let's go to Miami now at eleven. Uh, Peter King today, Evan, said that it seems more and more likely that they'll stick with Ryan Tannehill. Do you buy that? Uh, unless the opportunity presents them presents itself to draft Josh Rosen. And I think that they have to jump at that opportunity if they get it. Do you like that Ryan fit? Tannehill, what's that? You, do you really like that fit? Uh, yeah, I, I do. Um, Ryan Tannehill has torn his ACL twice in the last 16 months. He tore it in December 2016. He didn't have surgery, and then he tore it again last August during the preseason. I, I don't know how you can rely on him. Yeah. Um, I think that Josh Rosen is going to fall. Um, I don't think he deserves to fall, but I think that there are a lot of factors that where NFL teams can talk themselves out 
of Josh Rosen. He's been off-spoken, or he's been outspoken off the field. Uh, he has the shoulder and the concussion injuries. He only went 17 and 13. We know that wins and losses are, are not a predictor of future quarterback success, but you know, I'm sure I'm sure there are some NFL executives that are like, oh, he didn't win enough. Uh, his decision making, I think, uh, came and went. Yep. Uh, and then upside, he's not he's not particularly athletic. So I think that you can like talk yourself out of Josh Rosen, and I think that that's what NFL teams are going to do. Yeah, I know this is confusing, and I shouldn't have done it this way, but I did. Um, yeah, I, I have Josh Rosen going right before this to Arizona in a trade up. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense to me, Evan. The only time these teams are honest is one with their wallets and two in their draft picks. And unfortunately, we only get about like seven or eight or nine draft picks each year. So we don't know exactly what it is. So I, again, I don't know how they can necessarily kick the can down in multiple years with, with quarterback if, if they really don't believe in Ryan Tannehill. And if like they've been linked more to Baker Mayfield, but it seems like Baker's going to be one of the top quarterbacks off the board. And so it'll depend, you know, if they like Allen, Rosen, whoever else that'll still be on the board here. Um, I have them with Denzel Ward. So he's finally off the board here for me. Uh, okay. Uh, I mentioned, okay, number 12 with Buffalo's first pick. Evan, who do you have them taking? Josh Allen. Yeah, me too. Yeah. And a slight trade up, but yeah, Josh Allen. I was so certain a few weeks ago, Evan, that Buffalo was going to be able to trade up into the top five, and it just didn't seem like they can anymore. And, and I know Peter King mentioned this, that they want to keep a hold of their second first-round pick, and we'll get to who I think that that is later and why. But if they're not willing to give up that, like getting up to number four would take both first-round picks, maybe both seconds, and a future first. Like it would just be a ton, and it doesn't seem like they're willing to do that. In the Mountain West this past year, Josh Allen earned honorable mention all-conference behind Nick Stevens and Brett Rippon. Um, I've just stopped heard, talking about him. You know? we've heard, I know. I, I know. I need to stop talking about him. We, we've heard that the Bills are especially high on him since early in the draft process. You know, I, I think that this just – it just makes sense. Uh, and I do buy that teams – again, I buy that teams that are enamored with Josh Allen, that they genuinely are – like, you know, they, they think that he has a very high potential. But when they're on the clock, I don't think that they're going to pull the trigger. I think that they're they're going to make more cautious moves. Their job uh, will flash before their eyes, you're saying? Yeah, and I think that he he could fall all the way to 12. Yeah. Um, I hate this comparison, but Evan, in like the people who like Josh Allen the most, what's the comparison we keep hearing for? It's Carson Wentz, right? Well, it's also Cam Newton. Which one? Cam Newton? Yo, people have said Cam Newton, sure. Right? And and with Buffalo, Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean certainly have experience with Cam Newton. And look, I, I just don't know what else to say about Josh Allen. You know, like the people who like him are going to like him. I know Arif Hassan in his, in, in his consensus board mentioned that Josh Allen is, is the most polarizing prospect of all time in terms of where people rank him highly and versus some people ranking him at like number 150. I will say this. Last year... I firmly believe the Bills were in the quarterback sweepstakes in the draft. I think their guy was Mitchell Trubisky, and once he went number two, they were out, okay? The owner flew around to pro days and to meet with these prospects, and then he did it again this year, or they did it again this year. I, I, I think that they'll you know single in on Josh Allen and make it happen. I'm just not sure how high they'll need to go. Like I said, I, I, here I have them going to nine because I don't think teams like Cleveland or Indianapolis or whatever will want to move out with 
Buffalo not wanting to give up their second first-round pick. And, and by the way, Josh Allen did throw a lot of short passes between zero and five yards. So, okay. Uh, let's keep going, Evan. Washington at number 13. This one stumps me every time I think about it. What about you? Minka Fitzpatrick. I have him still on the board. He goes in the Kenny Vaccaro range, and I think that that's the type of prospect that he is. Yeah. Uh, I think that he's a slot corner slash safety. Uh, he immediately replaces Kendall Fuller in Washington. Um, I think that if you move him outside, you risk him becoming like a Kareem Jackson who they had to move back inside or a Drake Kirkpatrick who's had been a solid starter uh, at left cornerback for the Bengals. But I think that that's the player that he – and I think that's the type of player he becomes if you move him onto the perimeter. I think you want to keep him in the middle of the field. I, I agree. I agree. And he, I don't think he can play outside at all. Do you think the um, – I know they signed Orlando Skandrick – and I know that they have Fabian Moreau, but like this team will go through quite a change in the secondary, right? With, with uh, no more Fuller and obviously Brashad Breeland moving along as well. So it's, um, it's an interesting secondary. I know uncle Tony Pauline wrote that Vita Vea to the skins is the worst kept secret in the league. So I'll agree with Tony Pauline, um, but somewhat like, Josh Allen and Minka Fitzpatrick, it's tough for me to believe that someone wants to take Vita Vea this early because I just don't necessarily see the pass rushing upside, despite the production, what, what he showed previous years. Um, and the incomplete athletic profile. I, I think that that's noteworthy as well. Danny Shelton also had pass rush production coming out of Washington, had 12 sacks his final year. Can't even get on the field on passing downs in the NFL. Green Bay. You know, you talk about trends, you talk about, things that people have done in their past, like for Ted Thompson, for a long time, we were able to see his and somewhat with Brian Gutekunst, we've seen a similar process, right? They're kind of mixing in top prospects with undrafted types, you know, to pitch them for their visits. We'll see if it continues. I mean, they brought what? Then they bring Devon house back. Some other names, the blast from the past. So maybe they're very similar. Uh, Evan here. Jermon Williams. Yep. There you go. I, I have Marcus Davenport going here as an edge rusher because we know Clay Matthews is old. Nick Perry is getting a lot of money, but more pass rushing help on the outside because they have so much good talent on the inside. Yeah. And I have Harold Landry yep. falling here. Um, I think that he's an easy pick at this point for the Packers who were 19th in sacks, 22nd in quarterback hits last year. Clay Matthews turns 32 next month, not a dynamic pass rusher anymore. And Nick Perry can't play full seasons. Uh, so I think that Harold Landry is a, crushes a need and is a really good value pick at 14. Yeah, I would have Harold Landry here, but as I mentioned, I had San Francisco taking him just a few spots ahead. Uh, okay, 15, Evan, and I'm making this so confusing. I apologize. 15, I actually had Arizona moving up for a quarterback in Josh Rosen, but uh, so that means Colton Miller would go here. But yeah, I can throw in Josh Rosen's name here since he's still on my board at 15 to Arizona. I have the Cardinals settling for Mike McGlinchey at number 15. Uh, you know, I want to put Lamar Jackson in the same backfield as David Johnson. That's what I really want to do. But <laughs> yeah. Mike Jarecki, longtime beat reporter for the Cardinals, insists that the Cardinals are not going to take Lamar Jackson at number 15. That's good yeah. to know. Um, the offensive line is trash in Arizona yeah. right now. Uh, the only starter that they can hang their hat on for past – this year, maybe not even into this year, all these other guys are. DJ Humphreys has been a bust. Mike Upati can't stay healthy. is way overpaid. 
A.Q. Shipley isn't very good at center as with his 29-inch arms. And Andre Smith is a laughingstock at right tackle. But they just signed him to be a starter. The the Cardinals have allowed the most quarterback hits in the NFL the past two seasons. Now, they're going to allow fewer quarterback hits because they're not playing in Bruce Arian's system anymore. But they need guys who can friggin' block. I mean, it's been it's been a, a, a horror show on the offensive line for the Cardinals for multiple years. Uh, and if you're going to be trotting out Sam Bradford, who, by the way, this that's a legit two year deal. I mean, if you've seen the deal, it's oh, a two it really? year, forty million dollar deal. Yeah, and um, he's not going to be. I mean, you certainly can't cut him after year one with no cap hit. I mean, he's going to be a presence on your cap. Uh, so I think that they're going to try to stay like com- they're try- going to try to do a competitive rebuild. Speaking of offensive linemen, they gave Justin Pugh more money per year than every running back in the NFL outside of Le'Veon Bell. So that shows you how much guards are valued in the NFL. Um, I-, I keep going back to this phrase that Steve Kime, the general manager of the Cardinals, said uh, it-, it was before free agency. But he said the holy grail search for organizations in the NFL is, is the quarterback position and the success of not just the coaching staff, not just the personnel staff, but like so many people in the building is tied to finding a quarterback from their perspective, Evan, I don't think they've found that quarterback, right? Like, even though you mentioned Sam Bradford's contract, I still think their search is ongoing. And if they like Josh Rosen or if they like Josh Allen, I really believe that they're going to, and especially because Steve Kime just got a new deal to coincide with Steve Wilkes' deal, I wouldn't be surprised at all if they're super aggressive to move up for one of those four quarterbacks and be just as aggressive as the Buffalo Bills despite having less draft capital. Yeah, they're going to have to give up their first rounder next year. Yeah, so and that could be a top five, top ten pick. Yeah, that could be a really high pick. Um, okay. Next is Baltimore. Um, I still have Derwin James on the board, so he goes here, despite I think Derwin James is the top five prospect in this class. And I mentioned what Peter King said earlier. Kind of, And by the way, this is Ozzie Newsom's last year, and no, this mm-hmm. isn't an Alabama prospect. Um, they have a major need at wide receiver, despite adding so many veterans. Evan, where do you see Baltimore going here at 16? Lamar Jackson, baby. Really? Yeah. Do you think Ozzie just leaves them and rides off in the sunset with Lamar Jackson yeah. quarterback? Yes, I, I was thinking, what's a better send-off? You know, because our, I think our first instinct is to say, oh, well, they need a position play, you know, non-QB, someone who will make the, the team better, and, you know, they can compete in Ozzy's last year. No, no. The better send-off is to leave the Ravens with their quarterback of the future yeah. and a guy who could, you know, be a game-changer and a franchise-changer. And you can cut Joe Flacco next offseason. Now it's going to leave $16 million in dead money. Uh, on your what cap for next deal. year if you cut him, which is just like awful. But you guess, do save guess what else is awful? Ten and Joe, a Flacco. Half million. Joe Flacco is also awful. So, so you can save ten and a half million by cutting Joe Flacco next off season. I think that that's a move that I mean, you're you're going to have to make in all likelihood. Speaking of Lamar Jackson, I have Lamar Jackson at the next selection with the L.A. Chargers. The Chargers, kind of like the Bills and the Saints, for that matter have sniffed around the quarterback position for multiple years now, and none of the three teams have have bit on it. And at some point, it it seems like the Chargers are going to do it. 
I, I'm not here to sell you. It's because they just moved to LA and they need to fill their soccer stadium or future, you know, fill their LA stadium that they're sharing with the Rams. But we've seen the turnover at the position behind Phillip Rivers, right, Evan? Like they traded for Cardale. They signed Geno Smith. Like it seems like they still want to at least have some turnover and some potential change there for the future. And I think Lamar would be the pick here if he's on the board at 17. I like it. I think that this is the range where he goes. I have the Chargers taking Vita Vea. Uh, they have Need a great it. outside pass rush, but they've been they've been soft on the interior. Uh, Brandon Meebane is 33 at knuckle. His effectiveness has gone down. I think you want to you want Vita Vea to drop weight. I don't think you want him at 347 pounds. Uh, he ran a five. Point one forty at three forty seven. So imagine how much more athletic he would be, like after shedding twenty five pounds. I think that that's what you want him want him to do. And then you have a really uh, a great, a potentially great defensive line. It's already very good, but a potentially great one with Joey Bosa on the outside, Melvin Ingram, and then um, Vita Vey on the inside. Is Corey legit Corey suspended? Legit. legit. Corey legit. He is suspended for the first four games. Yeah. I, I went back and looked at how often, because when we were doing our team need series, how, how often they have like their nose tackling and stuff. And it was just like 40% of the snaps, maybe even less than that. Like how much they rotated, obviously, because they put Ingram and Bosa in almost all occasions. Um, so that's why I didn't give it to him. But it makes sense. I mean, especially because they can't stop the run. And they have athletic linebackers right in the back, like with Jatavis Brown and Denzel Perryman and some other dudes that to let them run and have more space is it makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if like Mike McGlinchey's the pick here as well. Um, just adding the right tackle because they have a left tackle and they've added so many pieces along the interior of the offensive line. Evan, and since we're talking about Lamar Jackson, if he goes and to throw in fantasy here, if he goes to a team that there's somewhat of an avenue for him to play early, would you view him as the top rookie quarterback, let's say in best bowl leagues over at draft.com? Oh, I've already started taking him. Um, <laughs> usually not as my second quarterback, Yeah, but if he's there, cause it's, it's an 18 round format. If he's there in the 17th or 18th and like my quarterbacks are, I don't know, Matt Ryan and Andy Dalton, you know, um, not necessarily guys who have huge ceilings week to week. I will take a shot at Lamar Jackson in the 17th or 18th round. Absolutely. Cause he's got monster upside. I don't know if he's going to start in September, but I think that, you know, unless he goes to a team like the Chargers, who, by the way, he can still get on the field if right. something happens to Phillip Rivers, but I think that he is going to, I think he's likely to go in the first 16 picks. And I think that, look, even if he goes to the Ravens and the Ravens are struggling on offense early on, which they've done for years, you know, they could turn to Lamar Jackson and he could be a difference maker from like week six through 17. And if he gets in the starting lineup and we know that like rushing yards and rushing touchdowns are just like give you the easiest floor for fantasy points. Um, I mean, he could be a league winner, especially in best ball formats. And again, we talk about best ball. We're about to talk even more about best ball and where we play best ball is over on draft.com. Be sure to use promo code RW when you sign up and when you create an account, um, it allows them to know that we're the ones who sent you, but you also get a free game entry if you use promo code RW. And they don't just have best ball leagues, right? They have stuff for like every single sport out there. So uh, after the draft, as Evan and I have mentioned, we're going to have plenty of best ball content out there for you. And if you want to snipe Evan on Lamar Jackson, go do that over at draft.com. And again, use promo code RW. 
Okay, Seattle at 18, Evan. Uh, do we see them trade down again? Because it seems like they trade down every single year. <laughs> I have them, I have Marcus Davenport on the board here. Okay. Uh, so I think that they take him. Um, toolsy pass rusher. I think he really fits the Seahawks profile. They badly need pass rusher, uh, pass rush help, uh, and they really believe in drafting high-end athletes. So I think he's an easy pick here at number 18 if he's on the board. And even though they probably believe in Deion Jordan, they should based on, you know, what he showed last year on the field. Like you can't really depend on Deion Jordan, right? No. You, um, yeah, you can't depend on him. I mean, right. he you're you're paying him um, one year and $1.9 million, and he's shown no history of reliability. You're optimistic about him for sure. You're excited about him, but you can't hang your hat on him. If I'm not mistaken – Seattle doesn't have a second round selection because they trade it for Sheldon Richardson. And I believe they don't, they do have a, no, they don't have a third round pick. It's something like that. They not have either one of those selections. Um, So I actually have them trading out of this pick. I'll just tell you who they are getting at 23 with new England. Um, But I have them going to get Taven Bryan, um, the defensive tackle out of Florida. They have been on a constant search, Evan, for an interior disruptor, uh, interior disruptor. A three technique. I mean, mm-hmm. they they drafted Malik McDowell in the second round last year. He's no longer on the team. They traded a second round pick for a rental of Sheldon Richardson just because they want an interior disruptor. I know they've shown interest in like PJ Hall and some other Nick Breland speaks later on in the draft, but getting one in the first round that you know is athletic, that you know can get up the field, now you have to coach him, that's fine. But Taven Bryan makes a lot of sense just with what they've lacked and what they've tried to get in the past. Not at 18, but at 23. Uh, okay, Dallas at 19. They've been linked to so many wide receivers, Evan. Do you think that they'll be the first one to take one here? I do. I penciled in Calvin Ridley, although I think Brian Broadus of Cowboys.com believes that they like DJ Moore better than Calvin Ridley. Um, there have been some uh, rumors about them preferring uh, Leighton Vander Esch as well. I think that he could be a great fit in their defense. He'd step in and play middle linebacker right away because they want to move Jalen Smith to the strong side and obviously keep Sean Lee at weak side. To me, Calvin Ridley, I think he falls on the Marquise Lee-Chad Johnson spectrum, uh, but he's got better straight line speed than both, and both of those guys were second-round picks. Uh, Nick Saban compared Calvin Ridley to Keenan McCardell, the old Jaguars receiver. I mean, he, he doesn't, you know, I think he's more number two receiver uh, just be, just based on size, but man, he he can get open and has short area quickness of of a guy who could be a really a high volume receiver in the NFL is going to create a lot of separation, and that's what they lacked, uh, especially down the stretch when it was uh, really exposed by their lack of a or their you know, their lack of a three down running back who could be a factor in the passing game. Defenses were able to squat on their receivers' routes. They refused to play Bryce Butler. Calvin Ridley can get open in the NFL, I think. We've talked about how, like, the Browns have been really close to the vest, uh, the Giants, you know, a number of these other teams. Dallas in the past has not been, right? They've, they've kind of been open, letting some stuff slip. Even if you follow Brian Broaddus' Twitter account, you can kind of read between the lines and see, you know, which direction they're kind of pointing in. Um, and so I believe the Leighton Vander Esch love is absolutely real. I know Jane Slater of the NFL Network has said that they see Leighton Vander Esch as Brian Erlacher. And I would buy into that. And I really like Leighton Vander Esch. The more I watched him, the more I liked him. He's only played football for like three years. A ridiculous athlete. The best athlete in this linebacker class. And again, the more you watched, the more you saw him get better as the year went on. 
And I absolutely buy him as a selection here at 19. Yeah, Tremaine Edmonds and Leighton Vander Esch are like big throwback size linebackers with freak show athleticism. Yeah, and but what's what's fascinating is Leighton Vander Esch is easily the superior athlete um, testing testing wise, and both Evan I actually don't think use their size that well. You know, like they don't necessarily play to their size all the time. Um, I ultimately ranked LVE over Edmonds, but that's just personal opinion. Uh, okay. Detroit Lions with Matt Patricia, somewhat in charge on the coaching side. He's in charge. Evan, where do you see the Lions going at number 20? I think this starts to get tough. I really want to give them a pass rusher. But, you know, with Harold Landry off the board, um, with Marcus Davenport off the board, I went with cornerback, and I'm going with Josh Jackson. I think that he's a good bet. Um, I don't know if necessarily he's going to go in the first round, though. I think that teams are kind of mixed on him. I there's a bunch of different 40 times out on him, 448, 452, and 456, depending on where you look. Uh, he only had one big year in college, uh, but in that year, I mean, and he's a former wide receiver. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, Sam Shields year, because he, of that, by the way. He showed elite ball skills, you yep. know, maybe uh, supplemented by his history at wide receiver, led the nation in pass breakups and interceptions. I think in Detroit, he starts right away opposite Darius Slay. You use Tease Tabor in the slot, and Quandre Diggs becomes your full-time strong safety, and you got Glover Quinn at free safety, and you have a pretty good-looking secondary, um, but you still need pass rush up front. Evan, we've seen that like interception totals don't translate from college to the NFL, right? Like we, we can reel off some of the top names each year, and they've sucked. Um, I do think Josh Jackson's ball skills translate, just as what you mentioned. Like he, He's just really good at – basically playing as a receiver and going up and he's just really good at getting his hands on the ball yeah i mean he's he's comfortable there you know like we see a lot of these other corners panic in that instance he's comfortable at like the final catch point um look every year there are college coaches that get hired by nfl teams evan like we saw the bills hire ecu's wide receiver coach and then they draft zay jones right we saw the panthers hire Um, Stanford's running back coach as their wide receiver coach um, and then draft Christian McCaffrey. Okay. The, the lions have some connections here, Evan. They hired a former Boston college defensive coordinator, and they also hired Marcus Davenport's uh, defensive line coach as their defensive line coach. Um, I say all that, and I'm not giving them either one of those prospects, but the link is interesting. Um, I'm actually giving them Deron Payne here. Um, Deron Payne has some highlights that are unreal some flashes that are outstanding. And I, I think Ashawn Robinson has achieved more recently and improved more recently than I expected him to, but they need help up front no matter what position it is, right? So I think Deron Payne offers that. He was kind of miscast as a one technique at times um, and, and might do better as a three tech. So I like that. I, th- th- that's what it, this pick came down to for me, actually, Josh Jackson or Deron Payne. Uh, at 21, Evan, with the Cincinnati Bengals, I have Frank Ragnow here. Frank Ragnow is going in the first round. So get to know that name. Arkansas center slash guard missed like the entire, I think he missed the senior bowl because of an injury. Um, but people love him, Evan. Like I know of two teams that have a first round grade on him. There'll be more than that. Um, I, I think that people view him as the top interior offensive line in this class outside of Quentin Nelson. I think it's that easy for a lot of these teams and the Bengals absolutely need offensive line help. And I think they're the first ones to jump on him here because he won't last much longer on the board. 
Love it. I have him here too. This is a Joe Goodberry special. Yep. Hit the DMs. Yo, Joe, who should I put in my mouth? The Bengals. <laughs> Frank Ragnow. I was like, all right. Talk to you next year. Joe's the man. <laughs> go go check out Joe uh, Goodberry. He, he writes for the Athletic, but Joe, Joe's the he's dude. He's great. Uh, Ragnow allowed zero career sacks, and he wasn't supposed to be a good athlete. He crushed the combine, and you, you, we've seen like picture or uh, like GIFs or what, GIFs yes. of uh, Frank G-I-F. Ragnow. Like, That's going to be. A, see, you're going to hear tweets about that one, Evan. <laughs> we see gifts of uh, Frank Ragnow dunking like in gyms, and yeah, he's he's an awesome athlete. He he starts day one and solidifies a center position that. The Bengals just made their fans suffer through four years of Russell Bodine. I mean, and and the Bengals just whiffed on where interior offensive linemen cap contracts were going, didn't they? Like, they had Kevin Zeitler on their team, and then they lost Kevin Zeitler, you know? And they just let Russell... They clearly, they must have thought that, like, Christian Westerman was going to be better than he was, or, you know, Trey Hopkins would become a a starter. And they, they, they just, what they did is they poorly evaluated their own talent yeah which is the absolute worst thing you can do like self-evaluation is is pivotal and they just didn't do it um yeah possibly from a name that you've mentioned evan i also heard that they really like james daniels and billy price as well so into your offensive line seems to be a theme here for the Bengals. uh buffalo the next pick And again, Peter King makes certain that they want to keep this selection no matter what trade that the Bills might make. And I think, Evan, it's because they want to replace Eric Wood. They want a center. And James Daniels makes a lot of sense here. But they just signed Russell Bodine. (laughs) Did they sign him for a good amount of money? No, no, not really. But it's it's still amazing that he started 48 straight games, was terrible for all 48, and then the Bengals just let him walk. Just let him walk. You know, it's, um, he only got two point one million, and yeah, it's just a one year deal. And by the way, right. um, uh, James Daniels might play guard as well. So uh, yeah, again, it solidifies this pick in my opinion at twenty two as James Daniels. I like that pick. I have them taking Leighton Vander Esch at number twenty two. Uh, Leighton Vander okay. Esch goes to bu- Buffalo and becomes Sean McDermott's new Luke Keekley. He's drawn some very aggressive comparisons dating early into the draft process. I mean, this is not just like week of the draft hype. I mean, uh, Tony Pauline was passing along that scouts were comparing Leighton Van Der Esch to Brian Urlacher and Chad Greenway very early in the process. You look at the Bills' middle linebacker depth chart right now after they let Preston Brown walk. Julian Stanford and Tanner Vallejo. Are their two middle linebackers? Uh, then they, they, I think they like Matt Milano. They're their uh, fifth round pick from last year uh, out of Boston College, I believe it was, uh, as a future uh, maybe solution at weak side linebacker. And Lorenzo Alexander is their strong side guy. They need help at middle linebacker, uh, and I think that Leighton Vander Esch would be an awesome addition. They, so they come out of this with their quarterback on offense, Josh Allen, and their quarterback on defense, Leighton Vander Esch. Yeah, if, if they don't go center at this pick, I do think off-ball linebacker makes a lot of sense. And and for many of the reasons you mentioned, like Sean McDermott's defense in, in Carolina was very fast at linebacker. And we know if, if you have slow linebackers, you have a slow defense. And really, Luke Keekley and the other linebackers took off once Star Lotulele and KK Short joined because, again, that gives you more room to run at the second level. I'm not going to compare LVE and, and, and Luke Keekley, but... 
that same Van Der Esch comp that you mentioned with Brian Erlacher from Tony Pauline came from Jane Slater as well. And so, yeah, McDermott's still trying to find those athletes. Milano was an athlete. He had some speed. Um, but finding another name is is important as well. Uh, okay, let's go to New England at 23. Uh, remember, Evan, I have them moving up actually to 18 here. But since we're just going with who they have picked, um, Mike McGlinchey here. Um, I think critical piece, goal, whatever you want to say, number one for the Patriots in this draft is to find an offensive tackle that can work with Dante Scarnecchia. And I think McGlinchey from who the NFL believes are tackles is a top tackle in this draft. So I have the Pats going offensive tackle too, but I also, but I have Mike McGlinchey off the board already at number 15 to the Cardinals. So I have the Patriots taking Brian O'Neill. I, I really like it. Uh-huh. And, and if I can quickly yeah. interrupt, like yes. if, if Colton Miller wasn't in this class in terms of his athletic profile, at the tackle spot, Brian O'Neill would be getting a lot more love. Be, and it, it kind of reminds me, and this is a different position, Evan, but you remember when Amir Abdullah and David Johnson were in the same class and Amir Abdullah's athletic profile was so good that if he wasn't in that draft, I think David Johnson would have gotten a lot more love pre-draft from big media. I think it's the same thing here with Colton Miller and Brian O'Neill. That could be. Brian O'Neill. Well, first of all, let's look at the Patriots roster because they lost Nate Soldier in free agency. I don't think you can go into the season with Lee, Lee, Lee Adrian Waddle and uh, Antonio Garcia as your one-two. Yeah. Now, I know that you liked Antonio Garcia last year, and he may turn out to be a useful prospect. But I don't think you can go in. I, I don't even think you can I mean, go into this. He missed the whole the, season. Uh, training camp with him as their as your number two. You need him to be your number three. Ladrian Waddle is more of a right tackle and hasn't even been good there. You need a left tackle, man. And whether it's McGlinchey, whether it's you know a theoretical reach for Brian O'Neill now. Brian O'Neill is, uh, I thought he was a great prospect. He allowed one sack over his final 825 pass blocking snaps, 85th percentile athlete, 34 and an eighth inch arms. Apparently he struggled at the senior bowl. Uh, did, did that jump out to you when you were there? Yeah, he just lacks strength. Like he lacks functional strength. So a lot of these guys were, were mm-hmm. power rushers. And as soon as they, and you know, I mean, mm-hmm. one-on-ones are built for offensive linemen to lose, right? So like if, if he, was put off balance. He didn't have an anchor to readjust. Um, but I, I mean, I absolutely agree with you. And in fact, Evan, I have Brian O'Neill as a superior prospect just on my board compared to Colton Miller. Um, yeah. And he's like six, seven, six, eight, but he's under 300 pounds. So you know that he needs to get strong. Like he needs to add muscle and, or some, probably some fat. even. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I would agree with you too. If, if McGlinchey's off the board, then an O'Neill makes a lot of sense here. Okay, let's keep it going. Carolina at 24. Evan, I'll give you the floor at first. I have him going with Will Hernandez. Uh, made 49 starts at left guard for UTEP. Uh, power blocker. It, it just jumps right into the Andrew Norwell uh, hole. I'm worried about Ryan Khalil. I don't think he's going to make it this season. We know he's going to retire after this season. Yeah. Uh, they need to continue to supplement this offensive line. Matt Khalil is a, has been a predictable disaster. And right tackle, Daryl Williams, he's in a contract year. They need talent up front on the, o, on the O-line. If we're talking about believable prospects who might be at number 24, Evan, I, I think their absolute goal would be Frank Ragnow here because of his guard center versatility and planning ahead for the future at center. They have no one on their roster that can necessarily do that. And I mean, they're still paying freaking Ryan Khalil. And I love Ryan Khalil. They're paying him like $8.8 million this year. And he's, he's only played like 
16 games over two years or something like that. Um, with, but for me, with Ragnow and James Daniels off the board, uh, Evan, Joshua Jackson is on the board. And with the Panthers missing out on a, a fairly sizable deal to Bashad Breland in free agency, I mean, they basically had to sign Ross Cockrell because they had to sign someone at the position. Um, I, I think they still want to invest in cornerback. And Josh Jackson would be that here. Um, I know that they've brought in like Justin Reed and Jesse Bates and a few other safeties. I would be surprised if they go safety in the first round. Um, and if Josh Jackson isn't on the board, maybe they do go Will Hernandez. Um, but man, I really wish that they would take a wide receiver here, Evan. Like I understand maybe no prospect fits it. Like if DJ Moore isn't necessarily worth it. Like you have to try at the position, you know, like try at the position. You, you, Adding Torrey Smith and Jarius Wright like isn't trying at the position this offseason no. at all. I think I think they should sign Dez. I think they should cut Torrey Smith and they should cut Russell Shepard and they should get Dez Bryant and put him up opposite Devin Funchess and just and uh, play with Greg Olson and have some some jump ball receivers. Cam will throw the ball uh, into traffic. Yeah, I'll just tell you they won't do that um, because. Like they've already talked about how much they want Torrey Smith to play that Ted Ginn role of of opening everything up underneath, and so that's just how they look at it. That's how they look at it. Um, I would love DJ Moore to be the selection here, uh, and I think that they like him. I really think that they like him. But I th- I believe that the Panthers would take Joshua Jackson, Frank Ragnow, James Daniels over him. Um, there's a reason that Taylor Moten hasn't been named the starter right now. You know, like. Someone that they showed positive love to during the process last year, right? During training camp, whatever, Mm -hmm. whenever he was given a shot. Um, How you don't immediately name him a starter when you lose Andrew Norwell, there's something going on there. I don't know if it's a motivational tactic. I don't know what it is. If they're leaving their options open in the draft, what have you. But there's a reason why someone like Taylor Moten, who I know that Marty Herney didn't pick, but that the coaching staff still likes, um, wasn't named the starter. So, okay, 25. Uh, Evan, I will tell you that John Robinson wants to trade out of this pick. He kind of made it known in a press conference because I believe they just have six or seven selections. And when asked about that, he said that didn't sit well with him. And so with a team that, you know, has linebacker needs and edge rushing needs, those might be tough to find at this spot, right? I think Leighton Vandrash would be an obvious um, fit. But if, since he's off the board for both of us, um, it makes sense for them to trade out. If not, Evan, who are they going to take at 25? Yeah, I wanted to give him a pass rusher. Yeah, me too. Um, but it's just, it was a tough fit. Um, I gave him Rashawn Evans, Rashawn Evans, uh, he, who actually began his career as a situational edge rusher. Uh, he had a lot of pass rush production in college, but he's going to seamlessly replace Avery Williamson, who they lost in free agency. And they've got Jayon Brown, who they got a lot of sub package inside linebacker snaps out of last year. I think they probably would prefer to keep him in that role. Yeah. Uh, and then Wesley Woodyard is really getting up there in age. Uh, so you, this, this addresses a need and gets a really talented player into the middle of their defense. Again, I, I think that they need pass rush help. I think that they can maybe find a, a decent prospect in the second round, probably more of a, a situational player. But I think that Rayshon Evans becomes a starter day one for the Titans next to Wesley Woodyard. And Tom Gower is really good on Twitter. Go follow him, Thomas Gower. Um, he's mentioned that John Robinson, like early in the draft, drafts for need. 
every team does mainly, but um, yeah, linebackers in need, but edge rusher still is. And I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of force it here, Evan. And again, I think trading out is the most likely scenario, but I've, I've been taking Sam Hubbard. Sam Hubbard's an interesting one, right? He has a tremendous three cone time that puts him in like the elite prospects in that area and projects success very well from an individual testing. But then he goes out and runs like a four nine five and doesn't test that well in other areas. Um, but we know Mike Vrabel is very well connected to Ohio State. Um, I think it's kind of between Sam Hubbard mm-hmm. and and Josh Sweat here as well. So, uh, anything else with Tennessee? If not, no. Nope. I'm excited to see that offense finally. By the way. Me too. An actual offense. Uh, 26, the Atlanta Falcons. They would love, love Taven Bryan to be here. Like he, he screams Atlanta. If you hear them talk about explosion and aggression and all that kind of stuff. And in those front four players that they offer, but since he's not, he's off the board for me. I have them actually going with a corner here, Evan and Jair Alexander. I know that might not seem like an obvious need with Desmond Trufant and Robert Alford and, Brian Poole, but I, I do think that you can upgrade over a Brian Poole, even though he's a player you can win with, and Alexander would do that, and then they really heavily invest in those second and third round interior disruptors, which there are some in this class. I like it. I love Jair Alexander. I th- he's, he's my second favorite cornerback behind Denzel Ward in this draft, just pure cornerback. Um, but I have him taking the chalk, T- Taven Bryan out of Florida. Apparently Dan Quinn loves him. Uh, addresses a need, as you mentioned, and fits their profile uh, as a, a guy who's just going to create a ton of disruption. Didn't have great sack production. You know, I think maybe needs to learn how to finish that sort of thing. Um, he seems a little bit raw still. He has no uh, idea what he, he's doing, by the way. Right. He can, <laughs> he can create a lot of problems in the middle of your offense, though, because of his athleticism, his length, um, and, and he plays really hard. Yeah. I mean, he, he is – all the buzzwords, like I listen to all these press conferences when when the draft is over, and Dan Quinn and Thomas Dimitrov get up there and just throw out buzzwords like all the time. Like they have their own explosion test that they put these prospects through, yada yada, and they just throw them out there. And, and Taven Bryan fits all of them, all of them. Uh, okay, let's keep it going with New Orleans at twenty seven. Could you see them moving up for a quarterback like Lamar Jackson here, Evan? Possibly. Um... Now they don't have a second round pick because they traded it for Alvin Kamara last year. Yeah, it's going to be difficult. I mean, they're going to have to give up their 2019 one. Yeah, I don't. I think they're just going to take a good player. Yeah, and I have them taking Deron Payne, slipping to the Saints. I think he'd be a great addition to their interior defensive line, where they have Sheldon Rankins and Tyler, uh, Tyler Davison, who's been their, their early down nose tackle, and they got a lot of good snaps out of David Onyemata yep. uh, last year. Um, but Tyler Davison is in a contract year. Deron Payne is a nose tackle. Uh, but he is a really good athlete, um, and I think a, a lot of people think that he has more pass rush upside than he showed at Alabama, where he only had three sacks in his career. Yep. I mean, if you watch that game against Georgia, it's unreal how well he plays. Now, yes. he got completely demolished against Frank Ragnow, but as we know, Frank Ragnow is going to go in the first round. Uh, I, I was actually surprised at how little interest they showed in defensive linemen interior all across the board in terms of their visits. But I know Tom Mance mentioned to me that it hasn't really coincided with who they're going to pick with who they visited with. So maybe it's like, you know, a little trick that they're showing. Um, I, I have them, who do I have them taking here? DJ Moore, actually, Evan, they've shown like a ton of interest in wide receivers. I know they just signed, help me out here. Uh, <laughs> who's, who's from the, 
Who's from the Bears, Evan? Cameron Meredith. Cameron Meredith. I can't believe I forgot that. Um, and they also re-signed Brandon Coleman. Yeah, whatever. Um, but <laughs> thank you for that one. The number one Brandon Coleman fan club out there. Uh, look, they have shown a ton of interest in wide receivers, and they even tried to bring Jimmy Graham back, right? I wouldn't be surprised if, if somehow they end up with Mike Gesicki here because he's probably what they mm-hmm. wanted Kobe Fleener to be. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as you mentioned in our team needs series, like they turned to a 37 year old to solidify that tight end spot. So if it's a trade back here out of the first round, I think Kosicki could be the pick. Um, but adding more pieces to the offense seems like there's something they want to do just in terms of the interest that they've shown this off season and DJ Moore, who's still on the board absolutely would add explosion with the ball in his hands and in his routes as well. I know it's a yeah, surprise they- and it hasn't been connected, but I, I wouldn't be surprised by it. I think that Dallas Goddard could be in play here. And I think the cornerbacks could be in play here too. Um, I know that they have some good ones, but I think they could afford, they like they know the value of pass defense because they weren't very good. They were one of these really good teams last year that was good against the pass, but like leaky against the run. Um, And I don't, you know, maybe they they could maybe see that they Marshawn Lattimore always had hamstring problems at Ohio state, had some more last year. Ken Crawley is, you know, you don't really know if he's necessarily a long-term answer. So I think that they could add a little bit more talent to that secondary as well. Pittsburgh Steelers, they have shown a lot of interest in the safety position. And so Justin Reed could be a fit here. Um, he's still on the board, Evan. And with this like Le'Veon Bell, dark cloud hanging over, even though we absolutely love his talent. And it just seems like they don't want to give him a long-term contract that he will take. Right. I have them going and he's a very different player, especially in the passing game, but I have them taking Darius guys here. Man, that would be crazy. Everybody would be like, are they trading Le'Veon? Are they trading Le'Veon? I'm here for chaos. Um, yeah. Right. You just want to see the world burn. I have them taking Mike Hughes um, out of UCF or Jair Alexander, who I still have on the board here and I, I hate it. Uh, but cutting Joe Hayden after the draft would save the Steelers $8.1 million. Cutting him next offseason would save the Steelers $10 million. I think that at very least that's going to happen. They talked about maybe cutting him uh, even this offseason. Uh, but if Mike Hughes can't get on the field as a rookie behind Mike Hilton and, J- and uh, Joe Hayden and um, Artie Burns, uh, then he can be the Steelers' return specialist because he was awesome uh, as a punt and kickoff returner at UCF. Uh, so he can add immediate value, uh, even if he's not necessarily a starter. And I mean, they just, they need another cornerback because they know that they're going to be losing Joe Hayden pretty soon. We've mentioned this with the Titans. We've mentioned it with the bills, but the Steelers really need some more speed at linebacker. Like when Ryan Shazier went out and they had to fill in and replace him, like that defense just got slow. I always go back to the Alex Collins game when like Alex Collins was beating them, them to the edge, like over and over and over again. But I, I just don't really see anyone on the board here that fits that at this moment. Okay. I know. Uh, 29 to Jacksonville. Evan, who do you have them taking? I mean, I think like if Leighton Vander Ash is there at 28, the Steelers it's an run easy up selection. To yeah. And turn in. At 29, I have the Jags taking James Daniels. Um, the Jags don't really have many needs. They have like nickel corners, like their or slot corners, like their best, their biggest need. And they signed a guy in DJ Hayden, who I think that they think has a chance to solve that need. 
uh, for a pretty good money. Uh, but I have them taking James Daniels out of Iowa. Uh, he can play center and move Brandon Linder, Linder to right guard. Yeah. Or I think he could play right guard. He has long arms. Um, He's not AJ very powerful. The, right. Um, yeah, so he, so I think you'd want him at center, especially on a, a power-blocking team right. like the Jaguars. Uh, but I think that he could be like a Rodney Hudson type of center. Yeah. Uh, and A.J. Can is in a contract here, and he's been the weak link on their offensive line. And Brandon Linder has played guard before. So you could put James Daniels at center and Brandon Linder, Linder at right guard. I just think that you need to keep supplementing uh, your offensive line. That, I think that that's what they're going to keep doing. That's like a big part of their team philosophy. Yeah, we talked about self-evaluation. And like the Jaguars have done this well. Like they realize what their strengths are and they keep adding to those positions, right? They keep adding to their defensive line. They keep adding to their offensive line and running game because that's what they want their identity to be. Quickly, before I get into my pick, I wouldn't be surprised by a defensive lineman here, Evan, because you look at the contracts of Marcel Darius, who's getting huge money, so he's locked in. But Calais Campbell and Malik Jackson are both cuttable after the 2018 season. Now, you don't want to cut them because they're good football players, but like their contracts are just huge. They're ginormous. So if you get into somewhat of a cap situation, then you might have to move on from one of them. And so planning ahead along the defensive line makes sense. And if they're, you know, not going to resign Dante Fowler after this year, I believe then, then um, adding an edge rusher would make sense as well. Um, I also reached out to Eric Stoner, uh, RIP, and he mentioned like what you did that AJ can is most likely gone after the 2018 season and Jeremy Parnell most is most likely gone after the 2018 season. So guard and tackle are both needs. And to fit that physical mentality, uh, I have them taking Will Hernandez here. Who's still on the board out of UTEP, which who's like, love that you talk about a Tom Coughlin dude. That's a Will Hernandez. Uh, and I, I keep wanting to put Maurice Hurst here from, from Michigan, which again would add to a strength, the defensive lineman. But I believe Todd McShay just said that, like, Mo Hurst might be a day three pick just because of questions. And we haven't heard any buzz about Maurice Hurst, right? Evan, the only buzz, yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, him. the only buzz we've heard is from draft media members liking his talent. We haven't heard from NFL teams liking him, which is a, a major issue going into the draft. Um, yeah, I have him going in the first round here toward the end, uh, but – I don't think he's going to go in the first round. Yeah. We, we, we could have a Grady Jarrett situation here on our hands with Maurice yep. Hurst. Okay. Minnesota at 30. I think that they want Will Hernandez. I think they want James Daniels. I think they want Frank Ragnow. Uh, all are off the board for me, Evan. So I go with Isaiah Wynn. I love Isaiah Wynn out of Georgia. Um, he's coming off a torn labrum. So maybe that's why he's not going quite as early here. He's another player. We haven't heard a bunch of buzz about, but Isaiah Wynn played left tackle at Georgia will most likely move inside either to left guard or wherever else. He's only playing the left side, but he's a plug and play starter in my opinion. And so you add him with Pat Elfline, you add him with Nick Easton who are both coming off injuries as well. And it makes a lot of sense here with 31 or 30, excuse me, to the Minnesota Vikings. I really like it. And I have the same line of thinking. I like Isaiah win better too. I just tried to fit Connor Williams into my first round. Yeah. So that's where I have them going. But it's a very similar concept. So the Vikings, I think, haven't decided whether they're going to use Mike Remmers at guard or right tackle. Um, but either of these guys, Connor Williams or Jairus Wynn, um, could uh, start at right tackle or they could start at guard. So they just would have to figure that out during OTAs or minicamp. Um, but they, they need an addition to their offensive line 
Uh, and I think that either of these guys would, would fit that bill. Connor Williams, 33-inch arm, so I think that he's going to move to guard. Yeah, I, I know Lance Zerline has said that since like day one of this process. And it's funny, I actually reached out to someone um, and asked Connor Williams versus um, Isaiah Wynn. And so you and I are in the same line of thinking here. Uh, Evan, 31 with New England. Um, I have them taking Justin Reed, a safety here. And it makes a lot of sense. Athlete, versatile, can move him up near the line of scrimmage, can play him off, yada, yada. Um, smart player. We know that uh, Bill Belichick has invested in Stanford safeties in the past. And so here at 31, after already getting it off of the tackle earlier on, at 31, the Patriots take Justin Reed. I like it. And they're a team that is willing to use a lot of safeties too. I mean, they, they have some packages where they play like three and four safeties, a lot of three safety. Uh, I have them going with Jair Alexander. Yeah. Uh, he's a ball hawk, a shutdown corner. He's only 5'10", 196, uh, but he ran 4'38", 6.713 cone. I mean, he, he checks uh, all the boxes athletically. Uh, I love the trade that the Patriots made for Jason McCourty, but he's 31. He's in a contract year. Eric Rowe is also in a contract year. And I think that when the Patriots, I mean, the Patriots could have like, I mean, I think that Jair Alexander could have like mid first round grades, grades from teams. And if he slips into a spot like this, I think that the Patriots are a team that just could not pass him up. Evan, if Darius Geis were on the board, could you see him being here a fit with the Patriots at 31? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think that they think they can get what they need out of Burkhead, Gillisley, and um, I think if in Jeremy Hill, if if they're going to add anything, I think they'd add another playmaker RB, and it would be Sony Michelle. Although I was listening to um, the Ringers GM Street podcast earlier, and Mike Lombardi, of course, a longtime Bill Belichick confidant, um, mentioned that he heard that Sony Michelle could fall in the draft because of medical concerns and mike mayock another bill belichick confidant uh-huh. also Lots mentioned that he thought that, that he thought uh sony michelle could fall due to some medical concerns so i'm really tempted to just full fade both of those and put uh <laughs> sony michelle to the patriots at 31 evan it's like you have a board up on your wall at your place with like the red yarn connecting mayock and lombardi just to up to <laughs> belichick um I don't. I mean, I I love Sonny Michelle. I think you do as well. And I, I I see more and more of these odds. And again, you you've told me that Vegas might not put their best people on this, but that like Sonny Michelle's creeping up there as like the second running back. Off the thing the is, they just they. It, well, first of all, Bovada is in Vegas. It's like an offshore book. Yeah. Um. But like they, you know, there's just not a lot of skin in the game for those. So they're not right. moving them around. I mean, I would basically not, what I'm like, saying though is like. It. I, I could absolutely yeah. see Sony Michelle being the second running back ahead of yeah. Darius Geis. And I think Daniel Jeremiah said the same thing as well. Um, and speaking of Evan, it wouldn't surprise me if it's number 32 to Philadelphia. Like you talk about again, luxury picks, right? But mm-hmm. it's, it's not just about the 2018 season. And this, this applies to the Jaguars as well. Um, it's about 2019 as well. When you're in with, with these really, really good teams. So, when you're looking at the Philadelphia Eagles, and I know that they rotate running backs a lot based on roles and personnel packages and situations, but I mean, I think you and I both agree that they're not going to pay what Jay wants to make, correct? So they've already lost the Garrett Blunt. They'll probably lose Jay after the 2018 season, unless you know he takes a not team friendly deal, but a, a reasonable deal. 
So why not find a running back, a good running back, one that you think is highly talented on a four-year deal, possibly five, and and have him on the roster as someone who's manageable but a very, very good talent. It makes sense to me at number 32 with Philly. I really, really like it. I actually have him taking Maurice Hurst uh, out of Michigan here. And, you know, they, they get celebrated into the night that they won the Super Bowl and they, you know, got like a top 10 player at number 32. Uh, Philadelphia's on a roll right now. The Sixers, Sam Hinkie, you know, they're, they're, they're in great shape. Um, and, I, you know, I look at like they can't rely on Michael Bennett due to the, the legal troubles that are hanging over his head. And their third defensive tackle right now is Haloti Nata is 34 and on a one year deal. Uh, and I think that Maurice Hurst is an immediate impact contributor. It's just, is he going to get passed by, by your medical team? Um, I actually don't even have him taking a running back. That was just a thought that entered my brain. I have them taking Mike Hughes here, who's still on the board. Uh, they've shown interest in corners, Evan. They've shown interest in Dante Jackson. They've shown interest in Mike Hughes, a few other names. And look, we know they have plenty of outside corners, but none of those guys can replace Patrick Robinson inside, at least from what we've seen. Maybe they try to make Jalen Mills do that. But why not take a slot corner that, in their opinion, uh, is a starter? And Mike Hughes can possibly do that on the inside. And again, Dante Jackson's another name, but I think that they would take Mike Hughes over uh, Dante Jackson. Um, Evan, we did it. Y- anything else you want to add? Yeah, Hayden Hurst. I am seeing this guy. So in Bob McGinn's um, NFL draft scout series where he goes through each position, he pulled 14 scouts on the best tight end in this year's class. 12 of 14 voted Hayden Hurst as the number one tight end in this class. I know. Daniel Jeremiah had Hayden Hurst at number 16 to the Ravens. And Mike Mayock has Hayden Hurst as the number one tight end over Dallas Goddard and Mike Jasicki. And I look, I watched Hayden Hurst early in the process, and I was like, I think this dude is pretty good. I think he could be like an interesting third or fourth rounder. When I see him going like at number 16 in mock drafts to, you know, on Darryl, Daniel Jeremiah's mock where he like used to work for Ozzie Newsom. Um, that is like, what in the heck is going on? I did not think that Hayden Hurst would be regarded this highly. We talk about age a lot, right? But you take a 20, what, five-year-old player at a position that is the slowest developing position in the NFL, it doesn't really add up, you know? And it's not like he's this true inline tight end that theoretically is ahead of the game. Right. In that phase, right, in terms of learning offensive line stuff and receiver stuff. Like, he ran a lot of your H-back, your your Y tight end stuff, right? Like, your Joker tight end move stuff. So, yeah, I'm, maybe it's just something we're missing. Maybe we miss out on that. But I, I, I don't really see that at all. Um, we also didn't throw in Cortland Sutton's name. I have no idea yep. how to gauge the NFL's view of wide receiver. You mentioned Daniel Jeremiah's name. I mean, he's certainly one of the most connected to scouts, which not necessarily are the decision makers, but definitely scouts and obviously execs as well. But I thought it was fascinating that in one mock he had uh, Cortland Sutton, uh, Calvin Ridley, and DJ Shark in the first round, but not DJ Moore. So uh, that's a position that, depending on who you ask, they'll have different players up there. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if Cortland Sutton's the pick 
at 19 uh, to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, and if you want like a sleeper possible first rounder, like if teams aren't sold on Connor Williams because of an injury he had this year or Isaiah Wynn, uh, Austin Corbett's name out of Nevada. Um, I, I bet he receives just from the school, Joe Petonio comparisons. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me to, for him to be in the first round and Lorenzo Carter as well. Like if the Browns or excuse me, if the Patriots at 31 don't go at safety and instead want to go off ball linebacker and like none of them are left, I, I could see Lorenzo Carter being uh, Bill Belichick's next Jamie Collins as well. Sounds good. Thanks everyone for listening. That went a bit long. Hopefully you could keep up with my trades. I know they were confusing. Uh, subscribe to the podcast first and foremost. Also, I'll be doing a Q and a with all of you on Thursday, the day of the draft. I will also be streaming a watch party of sorts. I guess you can watch the draft with me. If you want to just on your second screen, phone, tablet, computer, whatever, um, it'll be on Periscope. It'll be on Facebook. Evan and I have draft content before round one, after round one, after round two and three, and it continues on uh, through the weekend. So, Evan, thanks a lot. Thanks to – yeah, go ahead. During your broadcast, are you going to be wearing any sort of, like, rebellious attire? <laughs> that's a, that's some nice uh, a hint of the future. Yes, Evan, uh, people will need to tune in for a certain wardrobe that I might be wearing, um, especially if the Browns take Josh Allen. Let's put it that way. Uh, okay, so for Evan Silva, I am Josh Norris. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, subscribe. And the next time, we'll talk to you soon. Later.